It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's 1999 podcast like it's you on the podcast like it's 1999 hello and welcome to podcast like it's 1999 the podcast where we talk about the films of 99 from our late model rv it's a fucking early model rv here in 2019 I am one of your hosts. It was a line from the movie, and I and I mucked it up, guys. No, no, listen, Kenny's going on two hours of sleep. Guys. Thank you, Phil. Thank you for telling our, our loyal listeners. Uh, I don't know if you know, I have three kids, one of whom is twenty months old and got approximately twenty minutes of sleep last night. Um, but listen, I podcast with people, but he's got a great bit. I got a great bit, and you know, I mean, your son does, but my son has a great bit. Now, which, <laughs> which, which. <laughs> Phil is not a uh, so um, but the good news is what I lack in sleep I'm going to make up for you in with in in this with is starting so I know strong. with a really really quality movie a movie everybody's been excited to hear about a movie that I, I honestly don't think you knew existed I knew it existed oh you did okay all right and no offense a uh, no no none taken. And uh, a really exciting movie. Saw it um, in the theater. The Phil saw it in the theater. We have a really exciting guest, too. Um, <laughs> we have none of these things. We yeah. have a guest right now. And we don't have an exciting movie. <laughs> 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 all right. Now that we've lost all our listeners except the loyal ones. The, love, the, the ones who really love this podcast. The movie we're doing. Yeah. I, I, it, it occurred to me on the way over. Yeah. We did two episodes with Griffin Newman. We did. We did two episodes with Eric Anderson. We did. We did an episode with Anna Palm. Yeah. Um, we've had a veritable murderer's row going the last five weeks. We might actually, I mean, not to, but we might actually release 
other guests prior to this episode. So for what it's worth, your point still stands. We've had lots of great. That's guests. a good point. We we still have a couple in the in the can, in the can that we so, yeah. we haven't released. So yeah, this may be one of them. Yeah, but the promise <laughs> of this podcast, yeah, it's loyal gonna listeners, all, is we're going to do them all, guys. <laughs> and this isn't even a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. This isn't even a bad movie. We still have the Omega Code coming up. We do. We have Wing Commander, which some we, people like, apparently. We, uh, the Other Sister. The Other Sister. We have a movie. Jacob the Liar. We have a movie I just read about at Sundance starring Adrian Grenier. Yeah. We have so many. Your mo- buddy, Adrian Grenier. One of my best friends. We have so many. <laughs> we have so many movies that we have to do to be completists and finish off this project yes. of doing every single released movie. And some movies that were directed TV, correct? And some television shows, yeah. And some we're giving you a full picture of pop culture in 1999, yeah. which includes Happy Texas. Happy Texas, guys. Happy Texas, a movie about two convicts who <laughs> escape prison and have to be have to pretend to be gay pageant coordinators. It's a in, sweaty premise. The sweaty, sweatiest of sweaty premises. premises. In order to <laughs> evade the cops, also rob a bank. Also fall in love, also change some lives. So, but you know what? They don't have to change anybody's opinions on homosexuality in 1999 Texas, which is which is kind of refreshing. Well, it's an it's one it's almost like nice in a fable kind of way, (laughs) you know. Like I'm certainly willing to accept any premise on and 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 what if Texas, what if Texas, but not homophobic. (laughs) No offense, just little little nook of Texas where no one has any problems with gay people. It's called happy. Um, and, uh, whatever. That's not the best part of the movie, but the way, the, frankly, the way the movie handles homosexuality in 1999 is, is commendable. Yeah. Surprisingly so. Might be why it didn't do so well. One of the reasons why it didn't do so well. Uh, Sadly. You think, you think because there's not, there's not enough homophobia? No, but just the fact that like the, I don't know. It's, it's the, the, the premise is strange. I think that there's a lot of stuff in it that – I don't know. It's a little movie, so obviously that's why it didn't do very well. It's very it just, hard. It just it's, – it's, it's a weird thing. So the story <clears> – Because story? I, I, I just, just to sort of – because I yeah, do feel like <laughs> it, it's, a, it's a strange de- – I don't want to say depiction of homosexuality, but like I don't really know that to your point it feels real in 99 to me. It well, feels sitcom-y. Look, we did – Boys don't cry. We did, and I don't really even want. And we did talents of Mr. Ripley, but I don't really even want to like put these. On They're the not same, in the same conversation. Yeah, not in the same conversation. Except, Happy Texas is not a brain dead studio movie. That's true. In the Deuce Bigelow mold. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where like if Deuce Bigelow makes homophobic jokes, I can kind of write them off as like lowest common denominator. Yeah. You know, they're not. Particularly trying too hard to be. Um, this movie has its heart in the right place. I'm not suggesting anything outside of that. Just to be clear, it's just a little. I think. I think your way of thinking about it as a fable is maybe the best take. Well, it's. It's. Thank you. I have the best takes. But <laughs> <I'm> happy Texas. <laughs> thank you. But 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 uh, but what I what I'm trying to point out with the boys don't cry. Mm-hmm. Um, Towns Ripley, Ripley thing is this is an independent movie yeah. at a time when independent movies were expected. To tackle heavy themes. And this is one of the lightest movies I've ever seen. Oh, yeah. So that's interesting for me, especially in light of what we're going to talk about in terms of its reception at Sundance, where it premiered, 
its sale at Sundance, who it was sold to, and the rollout uh, into theaters later, um, which didn't go so well. So um, those are my, you know, 30,000. I, I, I think that, feet views. that <laughs> I, you know, I remember this film being touted. I remember that I, I specifically remember William H. Macy in the, in the Oscar conversation. I remember a lot of people before this film came out saying like, this is the film that's going to get him his, you know, get him an Oscar nomination. Not crazy. Not crazy necessarily, but it's, it's, the movie is to your point, like such a light touch that it just doesn't make much of an impression. And, and his performance as, I mean, William H. Macy, I think, is incapable of giving a bad performance. He always feels real, even if he's, you know, he's always great, even if he's not always in great movies. Um, But you put this next to his performance in Magnolia, and you tell me that, like, Happy Texas is the one that's going to get him the Oscar nomination? I mean... Two characters dealing with the exact same thing. Accurate. Mm -hmm. And both an ocean of sadness <laughs> like just no one and I, I i literally i think i i i typed this up what did i say i said no one does sort of a, a untapped sadness like he does like there's something in his eyes saddest face that's ever been created it's just he's just he's so beautifully sad um but i i I do deeply love him. I do too, and I and, and I, I liked him in this movie. Yeah, I, I deeply love him, and I and I and it's which is probably why I don't really like Shameless because that's not the best use of William H Macy for me. I mean, I, I don't I don't really love Shameless either, but I I, I understand people that do like it and why they like it. Um, so yeah, nothing probably, against it. They but I didn't love William H Macy. Yeah, I, I think there's also something, and and. I, I don't see him really as a leading man either, in a way. Like I, well, his big leading man performance, or the, or, or well, the one that's that's kind of top of mind for me is the cooler, which, right? Which right is playing on these yeah. tropes you're talking about, kind of the sad eyed loser. Yeah, and I think the cooler's okay. I think I like the, cool, I like the cooler. Fine. Yeah, the scope of the cooler's right for that kind of character, but there aren't a lot of, and I also. I think Fargo's lead performance, you know, despite yeah. the fact that he was, um, I mean, nominated magnificent for performance, magnificent, yeah. Um, in, in the right, in the in the right role, in the right script, yeah, there is enough on that bone for that to be a leading character. And I don't mean to suggest that I don't think that he's, you know, quote unquote, worthy of being a leading man necessarily. I, I just feel like he's he's such a superb character actor, mm -hmm. and generally speaking, character actors aren't. On you know the the top of the call sheet, um, for good or for bad. So I'm well, just used to him being that really fucking amazing utility supporting player. Um, that's all. That's like shameless to me. Just sort of goes like, I don't see this guy as being. But he's still not. He's kind of not shameless. He's a supporting character too. It's the wrong kind of Macy supporting character. But it's fair. It, it's the cooler, right? There, yeah. there, there are certain guys like that. You know, I mean, we we've covered a, a ton, and we'll we'll keep covering them. But like a Buscemi, for instance. Yeah. Buscemi um, doesn't get. I, I think Boardwalk Empire was a very poor use of his skills too but i think of a movie like ghost world where he kind of so, was he, so he, he wasn't really a lead but but yeah. he, to me he had, a, he had a very obvious very fully formed arc and you take a guy like buscemi who does something very specific uh someone like william h macy who does something very specific and there are a few movies that will be tailored to that kind of stuff but you're obviously he's never going to be a tom hanks tom cruise because he's just but buscemi's i mean that's that's a really good um 
I don't know what the word I'm looking for is. Comp? Yes, comp. Yeah, there he is. Uh, Not a word. See, did you ever see uh, uh, Trees Lounge? The movie yeah, that that's directed? Trees Lounge, yes. Like, he's – like, Buscemi is – it's so funny you would say the Boardwalk because Boardwalk to me was just like a, a bummer that they made him the lead in that show. Because totally. I, I, I totally. fucking adore Steve Buscemi and I get why, you know, coming off of, you know, season five of, of Sopranos and Terry Winter looking at Steve Buscemi and, and HBO and being like, sure. like, like and, I, and I also understand that the guy it's based on – also sort of makes sense. I think aesthetically, Buscemi, to some extent, had this, had a similar uh, – why am I thinking – why can't I think of N- the character? Nucky. Nutty, Nucky. You know what I mean? I get all of that, but it's just like you can't you can't hang that show on Steve Buscemi. It just doesn't – it doesn't it doesn't work. Never worked for me. Um, <clears throat> I love yeah. Tony B. I thought like – and I think that is – if you take Steve Buscemi and you make yeah. him a mobster, that is one way that that makes sense to me. Boardwalk Empire, you know – you needed King a, of the you, City never yeah. made sense to me because you needed a, a, a someone of that of that size. I mean that like I mean that in terms of uh, metaphorically and sure. physically, and he just didn't have it. Which sort of similarly feels like the shameless thing with William H Macy a little bit. I'll go a step further though. I don't think personally, I don't think Nucky Thompson's a particularly interesting character or an interesting role, and I don't love coming into a character like that at the top. I mean, Sopranos sure. works so well because Tony Soprano mm-hmm. is. Uh, this is is not the the Godfather. He's not the the the, the cap. The, what it was the Don or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, when we come in, yep, yep. Um, he's still fighting upwards, so he has a place to go. But um, it, there's definitely. I mean, listen, we're gonna do our Sopranos at some point. And, oh sure, and we're excited to do it. But it is Shakespearean. You know what I mean in terms of the 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 king on the throne and, and just there, there's something very sort of. Um, almost medieval about Tony Soprano yeah. and how he fits in that whole mosaic of characters mm-hmm. um, and obviously the perfect casting of, of James Gandolfini and you put it next to Boardwalk and you just see how unfortunately Steve Buscemi is just not he's just not the right guy I mean it's really it's too bad we're not we're not podcasting like what 2007 so yeah. we could do Boardwalk Empire but <laughs> it is interesting uh, TV had changed so much too you know Gandolfini was Oh, yeah. Nobody. Gandolfini was the eighth lead in Get Shorty at the yeah. time. He was the guy from True Romance who gets killed by Patricia Arquette. Um, he's, you know, he's in all my favorite movies, and he's truly he's like in the Mexican. And he's period. that was after his Tony Soprano. I know, I know, I know. But uh, he's truly one of my favorite all-time he's, actors. He's, he's, he's phenomenal. So brilliant. But that's who he used he to get cast as the lead in television shows. Yeah. And uh, Steve Buscemi was a movie star, and. He absolutely was. Yeah, he's I, I don't mean, his I, name. You put I don't him on a poster it. and people know who he is. Yeah, no, I mean, it was like, uh, he was a step, I would say he was a step below Kevin Spacey. He was probably at the time kind of the biggest movie star to take a lead role in a television show. Also true. Unusual television show. $10 million. It was like a $100 million uh, first insane. season budget. Yeah, the budget on that thing was insane. Um, and Martin. You know, pilot directed by Martin Scorsese. Like, that's a different thing. Yeah. But we really have gone far afield from <laughs> Happy, Happy Texas. Texas. Uh, yeah. Um, so <clears throat> the synopsis for Happy Texas. When bank robbers Harry, Jeremy Northam, and Wayne, played by Steve Zahn, escape from prison and stumble into the tiny Texas panhandle town of Happy, they're mistaken for the gay couple who are scheduled to help plan the town's child beauty pageant. 
As the criminals take advantage of this misapprehension to lay low while planning their next heist, complications include the local sheriff, played by William H. Macy, and his attraction to Harry, and Wayne's feelings for schoolteacher Mrs. Schaefer, played by Ileana Douglas. Happy Texas opened on October 1st, 1999. It was platformed, so it opened in 46th place with $72,000. It would go on to make $3.9 million on a $1.5 million budget. Uh, Happy Texas has 81% on Rotten Tomatoes and 55% from audiences. So you can see right there uh, one of the schisms uh, in this film's reception. Um, As we spoke of earlier, uh, in terms of the budget of this film, Mm -hmm. uh, this movie was snapped up at the Sundance Film Festival for approximately $12 million, uh, which which at the time was the most ever bought at Sundance. This movie. So those of you – And the film obviously ended up grossing just shy of, of three or around three. Yeah. Those, you know, of, those of you who actually have seen this movie – they exist. Um, <laughs> mostly at Miramax. Mostly at Miramax. Uh, I, I, it, it's mind-boggling that this is the one that people went after. And as you know, you know we've already done the movie that was the big hit out of Sundance. It's Blair Witch. Blair Witch went for I believe 1.1 – to artisan then called live um and uh and and there was an interesting anecdote i don't know if you read it about uh the executive at miramax who bought happy texas the executive at miramax who bought happy texas over blair witch his name was jason blum (laughs) wow that's really fucking jason blum was the he was i believe he was the co-head of of Acquisitions at Miramax at the time clearly learned his lesson. That's that, <laughs> the, the article, which I will find and and, yeah. and properly cite, made that point, which was <laughs> Jason Blum, who is no dummy. Um, I said <laughs> it's obvious he's yeah. no dummy. <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> he was no dummy. Um, made a mistake. Put all his put all his chips on Happy Texas. Ignored Blair Witch. I believe it was about seven years later. He is now starting his own company. A movie called Paranormal, Paranormal Activity comes around, and he places all his chips on that with his new company. That becomes, you know, a billion dollar franchise, and finances get out, and all the I'm other. Not movies. getting burned a second time. No, 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 no. He did. He he, he really he really did. He he's. I've always I've heard him in interviews and what on. He's always sounded like a a humble person, despite the fact that he is. One of the most important people in Hollywood and has been for about 10 years. And he clearly had the humility yep. to learn his lesson and move on. But yes, because it's, Jason is, Jason Blum convinced so funny. he convinced uh, however he wants to, to – I will it. say though that – Or vice versa but whatever. Another Sundance movie that you can point to that feels like a corollary to this is Little Miss Sunshine. Like, well, in, in what way? I, I mean in the way of what they expected this film to do. Like a quirky comedy that they thought was going to hit a vein and didn't. And I think that Little Miss Sunshine is a better movie than this. I'm not suggesting that it isn't. It's not much better. Okay. I I would say that it's much better. But okay. I, I mean, just in terms of the fact that it uh, – there's a vision. The direction of it is much, much stronger. It knows what it's doing. Uh, it, it's its needle drops are really strong. Like it's it's just the 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 characters pop. 
in a way that, you know what I mean? You understand who they are. There's just, now, whether or not you like Little Miss Sunshine or not, this to me, it's like you buy this for $12 million because you think that this thing is going to be <clears throat> the quirky, sweet comedy of the fall and that it's, it's you know, that, that it could be a part of the Oscar conversation. Um, Definitely the latter. And I think that Little Miss Sunshine you buy because you're Fox, Fox Searchlight and this is in the relatively early days of Fox Searchlight when it was mm-hmm. really finding itself. But they found a lane. I mean you've got Juno. You've got Little Miss Sunshine. I mean like they really started to understand like we're, how to do those – you know, forgive the term – but those quirky comedies and know how to market them and know where to sort of how – to, how, to, how to launch that. This film never had that because I think that they were just like, oh, well, this thing sells itself. When you said the synopsis at the top of this movie, it is so sweaty and convoluted. It's just like, what? Whereas Little Miss Sunshine, it's like, oh, we have to drive her to the pageant. Full stop. Like this movie is so convoluted. You know, and and that that's the thing that took me out of it more times than not was the plotting. I thought the characterization was actually quite quite cute in this movie. I, I mean, yeah, I actually am not even one hundred percent sure what happened at the end. So we'll discuss that. Um, there's something Fair. there's something very confusing that happens at the end of this movie. Uh, you know, I I I I, <laughs> I agree with everything you're saying. The thing is. Little Miss Sunshine didn't exist when this was bought. There was no North Star. Right. I don't know what their North Star was, but what I keep – so I alluded to it earlier. I think it was like Raising Arizona. I think it was like oh, – It was like 10 years ago. There's nothing like Raising Arizona. I'm not saying you're wrong. I, I'm not saying you're wrong. I mean, but like you – they were looking at like what's a – you know. You have to like fundamentally dis- – you have to fundamentally fail to grasp why people like a movie like Raising Arizona. <laughs> Uh, like this isn't this. I, obviously, I like Raising Arizona more than of this. Of course, movie. No, I'm not saying yeah, you. I'm yeah. saying dummies who thought that, yeah. not you. Um, <laughs> but but the, the thing with the movies you mentioned, particularly Juno, which I actually still think is a masterpiece. Um, I still bit, quite like it too. Yeah, I have I t- I've, I've issues with how it opens, but I think it. I think once the, it finds its foot, there is kind of a uh, a rough entry into that movie. Um, <laughs> Baptism by fire. You're either yeah, or you're not. Doesn't yeah. Yes, it is this weird. I mean, the, the first fifteen minutes with the dialogue in Juno is insane. Yeah, um, but I'm sure it's by design to kind absolutely of, to kind of shake you into the world yes. of Juno. And also, it's like you're either if you're game for this, you're game for the rest of the movie. Yeah, sorry, anyway. um, Juno, Little Miss Sunshine, Raising Arizona, everything the Coen Brothers have done. Um, they're quirky, but they're self assured. Mm-hmm. I don't think this movie's quirky. I think the the thing that the premises premises sweaty the thing that the thing that really stood out to me is that this is an independent movie that desires to be a big studio movie. You know, this is a movie that said sure. yeah, yeah. this is someone who took their one point seven million dollars and said I can do In and Out. You know, oh, yeah. I can do I can do the Birdcage. I could do to Wong Fu. It's not a perfect – Or a Priscilla Queen of the Desert. Yeah, which you know isn't really – it's not really what I'm talking about. Like Priscilla Queen of, Queen of the Desert isn't a studio movie. It doesn't feel like a studio movie. But those other That's ones, true. they feel like studio movies with a studio structure yeah. um, and also studio budgets yep. and you know the, the ability to dress a set in a way that actually feels like you're, you're in a real place, that you're not in a you know mm-hmm. three block – like, like not even like a – like a one block area in California, which is where you are. Um, Seriously. And so the whole thing just feels a little like, you know, like a 12 year old trying on dad's suit. Um, 
That's how it felt to me. Or trying on, you know. Well, you know, dad's jeans. It's it's also <laughs> dad's chaps. Dad's the director of this hat. film um, never directed another film again. Uh, Living somewhere off that twelve mil. <laughs> I mean, I hope so for his sake. He he was second unit director, assistant director. Yeah, he was a he was a worker. He was a worker. Uh, you know, he he worked on uh, he was a second unit director on Robin Hood Prince of Thieves. Um, you know, he just he, he really hadn't done much and and you know, has not done truthfully much since. You should say his name, it's Mark Ilsley. Yeah, sorry. No problem. Um, you know, I, I this movie is it was, it's, it's such a weird movie. It, it, it's weird almost in how kind of innocuous it is too. Totally. Like it's, it's doing everything it can to to not offend, which by making itself so sweet and so charming. And, and you can't really hold that against it necessarily. But I did find myself just kind of tuning out, unfortunately, because of it. Like it just – it's not really forcing you to pay attention to itself in how sort of slight it is, which again comes back to like $12 million at Sundance. I don't, I don't, I, that's the thing that makes you like, really what? Now maybe there was a bidding war. It might've been the type of thing that there were a couple of people and that's what got the number up there is what I imagine happened. Um, and there is some really lovely character stuff. And I actually thought the scenes between Harry and Joe were really quite endearing. I also love, um, I also thought, Ileana Douglas was amazing in this. I also have to say, too, and we haven't really talked about him, which surprises me, but, like, the standard in this movie really is Steve Zahn. We have talked about him. Forces of Nature. Well, yes, but, I mean, not in the context of this episode. Yes. He's, like, this was supposed to be the movie that put him on the map. This was supposed to be his big breakout. And I do think he's great in this movie, um, I, I, you know, I read that over and over. People are really into it, and he won a special uh, award at Sundance. He did. I didn't love it. You didn't love the performance? No, I didn't. I didn't love the the character choices. I didn't love the you know the the, the character choices at a script level. Okay, right? <clears throat> and I didn't love the interpretation of him. I thought that he played him almost like like Captain Caveman, um, like not a person. And like a cartoon, um, he was he, he was almost, to me he was almost impossibly stupid. Um, I and I think and I think Va- I think Steve Zahn put put that on top of it. Um, I mean that that's 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 an interesting take. I, I I think that first and foremost, I want to say that I really like Steve Zahn. I think he's I, do too. I, I think he's a I think he's a great actor. But I like him as the smartest guy in the room. I, I love him as Glenn and Out of Sight. I think he's fucking great. Yeah, he is. He is. He is. Uh, I, I think that that there is something about him that I that I find very very charming um, and very relatable. And he seems like a real human, even when he does border on caricature, which he does obviously in this film. But <clears throat> like the other thing, the other problem though is that he does have a tendency and has had a tendency to play like the best friend or some guy who kind of like blends into the background. Like I'm looking at his credits right now. Yeah. The forces of nature is a perfect example of that. Um, you know, saving Silverman, you've got mail. Like there's a lot of just roles where he's just like, he's just the kind of quirky white guy, um, which is, which is a bummer, but then he'll do like rescue Dawn or, you know, he does like, 
you know, or even his performance in uh, uh, War of Planet of the Apes, which is a beautiful performance, a mocap performance, but he's really, really good in it. He's tremendous in Treme. Um, he's a really good actor. He is a really like, good and, actor. I mean, I think the first time I noticed him, I think the first time most people noticed him was in That Thing You Do. And yeah, he's well, great in that too. So he is a great guy and I totally hear you that this is an affected performance for mm-hmm. sure. His accent at times was a choice. Right. Um, and and he's swinging for the fences on it. And I would say that he connects more times than not. But he definitely stumbles a couple times. I think it gets better as it goes on. Yeah. Because I think Ileana Douglas grounds him. In a way that I, I – Who's do, also great in this. Yeah, I do start to believe that the character exists. Uh, but I was immediately per- put off by him. You know, and just back to that thing you do. Yeah. To me, he elevates that movie uh, like a, a full 10 points. He's so good. For me. real. Because that's – to me, that was a surprising character. The, the, the member of the band in the 60s who's kind of wise to everything that's going on, who can kind of – See the silliness and the craziness of blowing up in in a you know matter of weeks while it's happening. That's an important character if you're going to make a movie uh, that appeals to people beyond the general movie going public. And I think to me, I think that's a huge reason why that movie's so well remembered. Steve Zahn's one line: "It's Oneters." It's what that's the Oneters. That's the Oneters. You you got you Oneters. Yeah. It's, <laughs> Yoneters are great. It's, it's, it's Oneters. Great. He also just, the, yeah, he's just of that cast to the most assured. You know, he's the most confident. He he, uh, you know, I I think that uh, Tom Everett Scott yeah. is is fine. He's playing a young Tom Hanks, and that's fine. He's fine. Um, but Steve Zahn really pops in that movie because he just feels like a guy who's like, I know this. I can mm-hmm. do this. I can play this note, and I can kill it. Um, you know, the other movie that I always forget he's in is Reality Bites. Mm-hmm. I always forget he's – that for whatever reason, I don't know if it's the glasses. I don't know what it is. But there's something about that performance that just doesn't feel Steve Zani. Mm-hmm. But he's very, very good in it. Uh, he's, I, I actually quite like Suburbia as well, the, the Linklater movie. He's really good yeah. in that. He's just – he's a really solid performer. But I, what's interesting is that this – so this movie comes out and everyone says, you know, this is, this is the one. This is the one that's going to get him on the uh, – put him on the map. In 99, he's got Happy Texas, Forces of Nature. I don't know what freaks talk about sex, but we'll cover it. It came out – I don't know if we'll cover it. This look. Uh, <laughs> and and he's uh, and he's a voice in Stuart Little. So he had I a guess we will cover. He's he had a big 1999. But then like you look at you know he's he's Rosencrantz in uh, in Brana's Hamlet in 2000. And then you know got Saving Silverman. He's a voice in Doctor Doolittle too. Like Joyride it just never happens. It could it, have been the kind of thing. It, this does seem a little sliding doorsy to me. Where you know I don't know if it's the exact perfect guy, but we're like maybe like Sean William Scott got his career for a little bit, right? You know, right? Where because I think most people like Steve Zahn more than Sean William Scott. Um, I do, I do. <laughs> but Sean William Scott, you know, ascended to real to a movie star for ten years, and Steve Zahn never really did. You look at his credits; he really this is probably the the the, the biggest role he ever had. It's certainly so, the yeah. It's certainly the you know he's a co lead. Mm-hmm. He's it's basically just his face on the poster. Mm-hmm. Um, they were all in on Steve Zahn. They were like, this is this is it. This is the guy. Um, and it's 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 kind of a bummer because I got to say, like, I would have loved to live in a world where Steve Zahn became How somewhat did, of a leading man. He, he's you know I look at his face on Wikipedia guy. He's like Jeremy. He looks just like Jeremy Renner to me. Really? 
I don't know. You don't a think bit, so? Yeah, like a goofier version of that. But he Either way. Like, couldn't Steve Zahn have been Jeremy Renner's character in Hurt Locker? And I don't think it would have... Yes, I, I, I don't, agree. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think anyone would have... Like, I think Jeremy Renner's incredible in that movie, so I don't really... I'm not knocking him. Yeah. I also don't think it's a super hard performance. You know? I think it's a super That's well-written well-written role. Yep. Um, he also was the... Do you ever... I, I didn't watch much of Mind Games, the show oh, that he was... Oh, I didn't either, but yeah, with Christian Slater. Yeah. You know, he's he's just... I don't know. He's he's a really... He's an interesting guy. Um, you know, Tremaine never really got its due. Uh, you know, and, and, and I, I... You know, he was the leading in, in The Crossing recently as well. Like, I do feel like he's a guy who could be the lead in a TV show or something along, along those lines. I really like Steve Zahn. The other actor in this movie is uh, is Jeremy Northam, who's another guy who um, this is a, a a weird movie for him to be in. You know, he's he's a he's obviously a, a a trained British actor. He's done a bunch of period pieces, and he just plays a straight up American you know criminal in this movie, and very well. By the way, like I, I at no point did I think that his accent wasn't strong. But this also didn't open doors for him either. You know, he never he never did another role like this again. And I'm not sure if he ever played an American again, quite frankly. You know we're going to be covering him a bunch. Yes, he's in a bunch of, of British movies that came out in 99. We ha- weirdly, we haven't, we haven't seen him yet. But, but we will see him a bunch. Yeah, three up. more times. Well, two, I don't know, British movies, right? So The Winslow <laughs> Boy and The and, and Ideal Husband. Yeah, those two. Both of which he plays people with the, with the prefix sir. Mm-hmm. Um, the other one is Gloria. Which uh, was mm-hmm. Sidney Lumet? The remake of a Sidney Lumet movie. Oh, right? who? Oh, he didn't. I don't think yeah, that Lumet did. Right. I don't think he Lumet definitely did didn't that. remake his own movie. But it was Sharon Stone. Yeah, Sharon Stone in the uh, in the um, Gina Rowland role. Oh, who who did remake this? I don't know. Uh, Sidney Lumet. Oh, he did. He remade his own movie. Sidney Lumet. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. Okay. That's super weird. Yeah. Uh, is it is it the same Gloria? Yeah, because it's written by John Cassavetes. That's really I think they use the same script. Steve Anton is not a older person. Yeah, no, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, Cassavetes did the original. My apologies. Lumet did the remake. Lumet did the remake. Yeah, okay, so yeah. Cassavetes did, wrote and directed, sorry, uh, wrote and directed the Gina Rollins movie and then, anyway. Yeah, it's, a, it's uh, funny. It's we, have a, we, have a, we have a movie by every single great American director this Almost, year yeah. with the exception of like Spielberg. Spielberg. <laughs> <laughs> Only him. Only him. But, you know, like we do, we get these like random Lumet movies. But yep. then, again, it's so weird to think that like in March or February, March, April of 1999, People were sitting around some hotel lobby in Park City, Utah, saying, "This is the movie, is the movie. that's going to be on top ten list. That's going to be nominated for Best Picture. We have a best. We have we have William H Macy. We yeah. have Steve Zahn. We're gonna we're we're, we're gonna run the table in award well, season." So, so I'm, I'm going to read two uh, snippets of of two reviews, which I think sort of show the spectrum uh, of this film. Ebert said, "This is one of those comedies that doesn't." pound us over the head with the obvious, but simply lets us share vast amusement. Uh, He talks about William H. Macy's performance as the quietly, earnestly in-love sheriff is the most touching in the movie, another role in which he gets laughs by finding the truth beneath the humor. He lets his eyes carry scenes with no dialogue that would have worked. Uh, New York Times, however, says, If Happy Texas, a risk-free satire that picked up some positive buzz at this year's Sundance Film Festival, 
catches the public's fancy, it will be because the nonsensical story of a pair of crooks ducking the law in a small Texas town is so soft-hearted it wouldn't hurt a fly. Almost everybody in this not-so-funny comedy is giddy and cuddlesome with a gosh OG enthusiasm that is at first engaging but quickly becomes a sign of a desperation to be liked. I agree with both those reviews. I, I do too. And I, but but I don't quite come down so hard. It was who was it, Corliss or yeah? I mean, I, Richard I, I, Corliss does in that second review because um, he I, seems I, angry about it. Yeah, and I don't think this is see. All right, so so much so much of film criticism after the fact has to do with expectations, yeah. and we're seeing it. Well, you know, it's been seen, but you know, I keep coming back to Green Book in my head, yeah. which is you know, if Green Book. If Green Book was made, uh, released, made $30 million, got solid B pluses, and was not nominated for one award, I think I, I think people would say, that's a nice movie, right? Nice movie. Fairly innocuous movie. Mm-hmm. Um, Green Book Award frontrunner is offensive. <laughs> you know? <laughs> no, it's like an assault on like the, on like on what we love about movies and, and the sure, awards that go sure, with it. Sure, um, I think there was for a certain – Segment of people, people who watched it after the ten to twelve million dollar sale. Because I read ten, but whatever. After the ten to twelve million dollar sale, and said, "This is a joke." After everything that's come out Sundance over the last twenty years, this is the biggest sale. No, 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 no. This is not well, what Sundance is for. Here's so it's so funny you should say that because I'm looking at a list here of of the biggest sales from Sundance, mm-hmm. and. We should just talk about a couple of them. Yeah, read them all. Because it feels, it feels obviously appropriate. Uh, it does feel like the biggest one of all time now is uh, The Birth of a Nation from 2016. Its own weird thing. $17.5 million from Fox Searchlight, domestic box office of 15.9, which, again, they probably made out okay. They probably came close to breaking even on that. But you remember that. what happened. Yes, obviously. Yes. Um, For our audiences, you know, audience yeah, members that ahead, don't, yeah. uh, this was a – a passion project for Nate Parker, mm-hmm. kind of an, act, an actor I truly had never heard of before this, but he yeah. wrote, directed, started it. And uh, at Sundance, it was lauded as, as you know, it was uh, not not even a potential Best Picture nominee, a probable Best yeah. Picture winner, like presumptive. It was presumptive, like presumptive. That's right. Was this a year after Twelve Years a Slave? It was the year after Twelve Years, um, or the year or so, and it close to it. And I, and I do think that people felt. Almost the way people feel a little bit uh, feel about Black Klansmen this year, which is this is the middle finger, you know. This is the, the if Twelve Years a Slave was kind of documenting some really horrible thing that happened. Mm-hmm. Birth of the Nation was saying, "Fuck you," essentially. <laughs> yeah. um, and then, this, three years ago, Nate Parker was credibly accused of um, sexual assault in college, mm-hmm. and uh, he tried some damage control and didn't really work because there were multiple. Accusations, and it really, uh, really derailed this movie entirely. It, it just, it, it, it completely cratered any opportunity, any chance that this film would have at the box office or otherwise. Well, it really killed any awards chances. Yes, and if this movie isn't winning, an, isn't winning awards. Not a lot of people are going to go spend their money to go see a movie um, when we this violent and this aggressive. But uh, it was also sort of, it was the, it was one of the. It was the beginning, I felt, of what started a, a wave of all of this. I mean, ultimately, it was kind Trump, of the first Trump selection and everything else, sort of. But this was the first one where you saw actual, real fallout from an accusation of this nature, and 
understandably so. But it, it really – it also was the first time that we saw – not the first time, but that the spin did not work. It was – they did they yeah. could not spin figure work. out That's a true. way out of this and and thus the film was sort of – it was over for it. I mean he got a 60 Minutes interview, which you yeah. – which really doesn't happen now. It's true. Um, 60 Minutes isn't co-signing any kind of rehabilitation project these days. No. But, uh, but yeah, it didn't work. So then you got uh, Little Miss Sunshine, $10.5 million, also Fox Searchlight, domestic of about $60 million. And obviously, you know, a lot of people love this movie. It was a Best Picture nominee, mm-hmm. did very well. Alan Arkin won. Alan Arkin won. Like, it, it, to me, this is sort of this. And I mean, Juno it was not a Sundance movie, it was a Telluride it was, movie. I, I saw it at Telluride. Um, so, Humble but, Brad. <laughs> but Little Miss Sunshine to me is sort of. I think the quintessential Sundance movie. That's the movie that that and Blair Witch. Those are those sort of run the gamut of like what you hope for when you buy a movie at a Sundance. And I'd I'd throw Reservoir Dogs in there too. Yeah, sure. Though, yeah, it's it's to me those are kind of your three your your three almost tent poles of Sundance. Like yeah. quirky comedy, mm-hmm. kind of black black uh, Tarantino esque. Yeah, I guess you'd call it a thriller, and then like the uber indie. Um. And you know we're going to do our top ten Sundance or top we are. five. You'll see what we're doing. We're it's really, going to be great. We're really clever. You're going to love it. And I have some Uber indies on that list. Yeah, for sure. Because I think that's obviously really important to every film festival. Absolutely, and, and this one in particular. You know what I yeah. mean? It, it does feel as though you know the the modus operandi from Redford was you know by by making this festival was really you know for anyone to be able to make a movie and get it screened there and and. It's an amazing thing. Uh, Manchester by the Sea, $10 million by Amazon Studios, made 37.2. Um, you know, Hamlet 2 was another big buy. Another 10 big million. Bomb. Huge bomb. They bought that. Uh, Fo- uh, Focus Features bought that for $10 million. It only made just shy of five. People in the industry like Steve Coogan a lot more than Americans like <laughs> Steve Coogan. Accurate. I, it, whatever, for whatever reason, because yeah. I've been hearing Steve Coogan for 15 yeah. years now and – He's never really been – and he's been in very good movies, but yeah. he's never really been in a movie that has blown up in America. No. Uh, way, way back. Was oh, bought, that, that was bought for a little shy of $10 million by Fox almost, Searchlight. That's almost cheating because those guys, that's Faxon and Rash. They had Correct. just won an Oscar. So they were going to get a big sale no matter what. That's true. Yeah. Brooklyn, um, $9 million. One of the great fucking movies of oh all time. God, that movie makes me cry me like too. no fucking – Oh, Phil. It's crazy. Tr- it's, it's, <laughs> it's crazy. One of my, one of my ten favorite movies oh, since 1999. I love it so much. Yeah. Uh, great, great movie. Uh, bought for $9 million by – again, Fox Searchlight. Fox Searchlight really hits They Sundance. come with the checkbook. They come with the checkbook yeah. and they know what they're doing. Sure and and a lot of people account. are stealing their shit now. I mean you've got your A24s, your Annapurnas. Mm-hmm. Your, they've kind of swooped in now and they're trying to sort of – Steal their stuff. Uh, Son of Rambo, the pair advantage. I do remember that, that one. That was supposed to be a big, big deal. Yeah, seven million Never made quite one point eight domestically. Yeah. Um, Grace is gone on that list. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, I think so. I mean, Dope was bought there for seven million by Open Road. Uh, Our idiot brother was bought for six million by the Weinstein Company. Made twenty four point eight, which I'm surprised at. Bob and Harvey were like, "It's you," and they're like, "No, no, it's you." <laughs> this movie's about you, Bob. Yeah, yeah. No, 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 it's about you, Harvey. Um, and then the last one on this list is uh, the kids are all right, which is a big, uh, big focus purchase for four point eight million. Big hit, twenty big hit. Um, but this is the thing, like Sundance, and you know, 
this is our Sundance episode. If you guys haven't put that those together, those lists, yeah. by the way, the, the, that list, those yeah. movies, more successful than I expected. Yeah, in in general, yeah, people have gotten better. Also, I think they've gotten smarter. Also, those are almost entirely since 1999. Um, audiences become a little. I think audiences have become a little more easy to predict. Yeah, I would agree with that. I think there's also, you know, there, there's other things now. If it's you know uh, VOD and various other ways to make sure that you're not sticking your neck out and putting ten or twelve million dollars down and and getting kicked in the face. Yeah. I think that you know there's other ways to make sure that that there's a little bit of a safety net there financially. Um, you know, I, as I was watching this film, back to Happy Texas, but like this movie isn't complicated. In terms of like what it's trying to do, it gets complicated in its plotting. No, but it's it's really not complicated, and it it almost it's almost its curse and blessing. I, th- I might wind up dropping my my <laughs> zero to ninety nine when this is over because yeah, I might as well. It's not complicated. It's it, it what it aspires to do is so simple, yeah, and yet it feels so difficult for this movie to accomplish it. You know, when we did Blue Streak, um, well, I'm faking this. We're about to record Blue Streak, but, you know, we, you will have listened to it <laughs> yeah. in the past. Uh, Blue, Blue Streak's the other way to me. Blue Streak is Blue Streak is like effortless in its ability to just dance around its stupidity. Tell the story. I mean, no, no, it's it's not really that. It doesn't even. I wasn't a fan of Blue Streak, guys. (laughs) Well, I might be by the end of the that. This is probably you know this is probably the best way. But we we watch those two back to back, and really the the point I'm making is there are movies where you feel like you can see all the work on the screen, and it's kind of exhausting. And there are movies where they're just really easy to watch. I found Blue Streak really easy to watch. I found Happy Texas for a very simple movie aspiring to do nothing more than be. Dirty Rotten Scoundrels or whatever, uh, yeah. really exhausting in that sense. I get that. I mean, I, I but not offensive. I did watch. I you know, again, I watched both the films back to back as well, and and I would say that uh, that both of them lost my attention um, in different ways. Uh, I think that this film, uh, unfortunately, just. I would I would go as far as to say didn't necessarily have enough plot. I mean, this movie's ninety eight minutes, and in the middle there, I felt it really hammocked. Like I was just like, what What are we doing right now, guys? Like we're not this, the the plot's not really moving. I understand, you know, the 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 paradox that they're in, but it didn't feel like there were real stakes in in their relationship, in their in the guys. Yeah, they're none. So that became problematic and I also found myself kind of – it's a bit of a head scratcher as to like why Harry's going on dates with Chappie. If – you know what I mean? Like there's just – there's a, there's a bunch of like I don't really understand what's happening. But um, yeah. I mean it's – it's I don't know. It's, it's, it's a strange little movie. Uh, Ileana Douglas and Steve Zahn have great chemistry though. They do. That was sort of the thing that jumped out at me. I thought that Harry and Joe had really good chemistry as well. Um, Me too. I, the, the romance. You don't see that actress a lot, uh, and you don't. she was very good. Ali Walker. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, it's so strange because as I list the things that I liked in the film, I did quite like them, but I just it doesn't all come together. It certainly doesn't come together in the climax of this film, which which becomes 
bizarre. Bizarre is the word I was going to um, use. It's just bizarre. <laughs> bizarre also incredibly missed. In- some incredible missed opportunities yeah. here. Well, let's talk about the plot. Let's just dive into it. Um, but So Wayne 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 Jr., played by Steve Zahn, uh, and Harry yeah, escaped. We're, we're not going to give that. Any credence. We're not going to give that, that joke any credence on this podcast. <laughs> we are moving past it. Yes. Calling him Wayne. Um, escape from a prison van when Wayne gets in a fight with another inmate. So here's what I will say. The movie wastes no time in terms of getting to its fucking premise. Like it, it gets you there fast because I don't want to see them, you know, on the lam okay. for long. I don't want to see them on the lam for long. But as friend of the pod uh, and previous guest Jessica Gallus recently tweeted. Mm. It's important to do the work on the front end. It's yeah, imp- they don't do that. No, they don't. It's important yeah. to know where the character starts, where the characters in this case start, true. in order to know where they where, where they need to go and where they end up. Um, as you know, she what she said. I'm so happy I can cite this. What she said was a so movie. Will she future guest, hopefully. Hopefully, hopefully she she, she's amazing. She was fantastic. Um, but what she said is essentially a movie is about uh, one of two things. It's either about a person or a group of people changing or a person or a group of people changing other people, right? And, so you, need, and you need to know where you're starting here. Um, in a movie that is so overtly about homosexuality, which it is, to not have, our, have any concept of where our characters stand on this, any character, it's punting. And that I felt that over and over with this movie, it's punting. You don't you, you, you want to do a prison break, but you don't want to show the prison break. Why not? Why just do like the worst version of the fugitive break? Uh, What's funny because I was I, as I, as this movie opened, I thought about Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Mm-hmm. The the, yeah, the best great. execution of this, yeah, which I just saw actually. And to your point, you the Coens go. I mean the Coens are obviously brilliant, right? So what they're able to do with these three guys in the five minutes or so that you know them, you know, uh, post-chain gang escape, whatever, mm-hmm. you know these guys. You know them by the way – without a line of dialogue, you know these it guys. Do, it doesn't take much. It doesn't. And yet this just doesn't execute that. So you find yourself – unclear as to their relationship to each other and what's going on and it's just it's to you and to you and Jessica's point you need a little more not a lot more but a little more so you understand who these two guys are and instead they think that well they don't know each other so it'll be fine we'll learn they'll learn about each other along the way but it makes you as an audience member completely disengaged from what's happening and it, it's not to me it's not a Bad decision in in a vacuum mm-hmm. to have these people have these two characters one not really know each other yeah. and two not be adversarial. Yeah, right. I, that doesn't bother me. You know, it's the obvious choices. They know each other and they hate each other. They don't know each other and they hate each other. They grow to love each other. Blah blah blah. That always works. Yeah. And so there's really like I, I can't begrudge movies that do that. That's that's screenwriting 101. But if you're going to go in a different direction. Uh, and you go in the direction of less resistance, less conflict. Yeah. Um, there's got to be a really good reason for it. And the sense I got over and over with this movie is the reason is we just don't want to try that hard. Uh, we we just don't we just don't want to. Yeah. We, we don't want to set up the obstacles and have our characters have to overcome them. Um, this it, movie, it, there's a lot of path of least resistance, which very is very conflictless. Is it. it is unfortunate because and and it leads to 
um, as we'll get to, it leads to a, a crazy finale to try to make up for the fact that they have not done the legwork before it. Do you know what I mean? They they want to kind of be like, it just gets so crazy at the end. And you're yeah. like, yeah, but you haven't you haven't bought this. Like, no. there's no. So at this, well, yeah, they, they 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 escaped with a third prisoner. Oh, yeah. Uh, MC Ganey. Yeah. Uh, Maslow. Kind of famously in my world. He's famously from Lost. And he was Mr. Happy in Lost. Yeah. Ironically. Uh, yes, he was Mr. Happy. So this guy could in other stuff. Yeah, he's in a lot of shit. Yeah. Uh, I this, I remember him. He's just got a bad guy face. Uh, he's got a bad guy face. He's basically he's, – he's, Bad guy face. He, he, he's there in, to serve two purposes. One is to um, soften our criminals. Yes. Our nice guy, you know, car thief criminals or whatever they were. Bang! I don't know what Jeremy Northen did. He's like a he's like a fraudster or whatever. And MC Ganey is like um, the worst murderer in the world or something. Yeah, sure. So he softens our critic our characters by comparison. And two, like he's the most obvious human MacGuffin of all time. This guy is going to come back and this fuck you up at the back, end. Yeah. Like it's the most obvious thing. I, I it's. That's, that's, it, it, it's almost painful how obvious it is that this guy's coming back. Um, <clears throat> so, but that surprise, is surprise. He comes back. Yes, but that is important. That he, they, so the three guys, three guys escape. The other thing that is very valuable <laughs> for this movie that they kind of did well is if you want to have a movie about two guys hanging out in a Texas town, they're on the run from the police, but they don't actually run, and you don't want them to be pursued. Sent out the worst murderer in three counties the other direction. Have all the police go that way. It's great. And let your – yeah, let your kind of petty criminals hang out. Sure, obviously the police want to get them, but they serve real – they serve no real threat to the public while you know Ted Bundy is out there or whatever. Ugly Ted Bundy. <laughs> so – and of course the person chasing them is Ron Perlman who has two scenes in this movie. Which is a kind of very young, thin Ron Perlman. True, true. Yes. But just also kind of a waste of Ron Perlman. Yeah. Who's I don't know. I, I love Ron Perlman. Who I think doesn't? he's great. I think he's good in this. He just doesn't do very much. Um so Sheriff Chappie, played by William H. Macy, pulls Harry and Wayne over in their R V. Uh they think they've been caught, they're brought in front of a judge. This will again, what's required in this scene is a level of ambiguity. Yeah. In order for them not to think that they do not understand, they've been brought in front of a judge. They think they've been caught, but the judge is actually negotiating a deal for them to be the pageant, the pageant guys, guys. <laughs> they, which they don't understand. Now, if why would they? Because <laughs> it's real confusing. Because what they don't want to do, and by they I mean a writer and director, is they want the next scene. Which is yeah. them in the RV trying to figure out who the owners of this RV are. And to their credit, one of the funnier scenes in the movie. When Steve Zahn finds the clothing for the children and thinks that the, that they were carnies that worked with little people or something yeah. like that, it, it is, it is, good. It is funny. So you, on, on I, in my brain, I'm like, I get that you want this scene, but what is required of the scene before it? Is just you got to do some gymnastics. Let's let's. Uh, there, there are a couple other things that happen here. One, they get found because they're in the RV, right. and it looks as if Steve Zahn is uh, blowing him. Well, I was you know I was gonna say I was I was looking for a <laughs> euphemism, but yeah, it looks as if Steve, Steve Zahn is blowing Jeremy Northam in classic the RV. American Beauty. Yeah, and Sherry Chat. Remember in American Beauty, the like the dad sees oh yeah him licking the joint, and it looks it's just licking the joint. <laughs> that's, that's what we call it around my house. <laughs> 
Um, <laughs> Amazing. Um, but Jappy, I mean, William H. basically comes up on the RV and instead of being like, hey, guys, not around here. He's like, it's our gay guys. It's, it's, you're the guys. You're the guys. You so, must be. So, so that's how they find him. And then the other thing, <sighs> like, I think it's, I, 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 th- I think it might work well in a different movie that kind of had lower aspirations. I'm not sure. Um, but we, lower. we meet the gay couple. Yeah, before we this. We so do. we know who they are supposed to be. That's not always bad. Yeah. It's not always bad to have the audience in, uh, ahead of the characters. But it may have been more fun not knowing anything. Um, Plus the scene with the two gay guys at the gas station is also a little bit like – A little arch. Uh, yes. A little arch but also just easy again where – they're not that worried about the car being st- – the They're RV actually being, funny. They're act- yeah, they are, but I they're, agree. They're excited the RV has been stolen because now they can plead that the car has been stolen and they can get the insurance money and now they can go to Maui or whatever. And it's just – again, to your point, again, no conflict. They don't want to find them. No one wants to find them because if anyone wants to find them, the movie goes away. Yeah. So they're finding all of these ways around that. It's just – it's crazy. It, you know that your conceit isn't great when you have to make all of these excuses in order to keep it alive. Yeah, you just nailed it. And I, and I kept I kept coming back to you know the, 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 the writer's room term some people hate. I think it's a perfect term, hat on a hat. Yeah. Um, this is the, the hat on the hattiest movie yeah. I think I've ever seen. The most gilded of lilies. Yeah, the most, <laughs> the most gilded of lilies. Um, it just I, – I, I, I get that they were trying to, you know, essentially marry. It seemed like they were marrying the birdcage with my cousin Vinny. Yeah, yeah, two, that's that's perfect. Two brilliant movies. Yeah, um, but they don't. They didn't marry well. No. They and they didn't marry well, or maybe they it just wasn't well executed. But it just doesn't work that well. Wow, I didn't give this a bad grade, <laughs> and I think it's going to be a pretty bad grade when I yeah. When I was I was thinking the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I but you know, I keep coming back to the same thing. At least, you know, in my brain, which is that the intentions of this film are pure and there is a lot of really lovely stuff in it. And that is – that was my takeaway from it when the credits rolled. Now, some films don't – can't handle Kenny and I sitting down in front of microphones talking about it. Like when you do a deep dive into a film, it falls apart, right? And some films shouldn't have to be put under a microscope. So I'm, I'm, I'm trying to give this film the benefit of the doubt a little bit, which is that I remember seeing it in the theater. I remember leaving the film kind of with a shrug. It didn't really make much of an impression on me at the time. I remember going into it thinking, okay, William H. Macy, this is his Oscar push, and kind of being like, really, this film? So I'm not – again, I'm, I'm not making excuses for it, but I also just want to say like Maybe it 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 shouldn't be put under a microscope as heavy as we're putting it. Well, I don't know if that's fair. I like this was a movie that was bought for ten million dollars, as we said a lot of times. As we said very, yes, we said a bunch of times. Yes. The other thing is, you and I, um, we're just nice guys. We are. Um, I don't think we're being overly harsh. Just to be clear, but I'm just you know. I do. I think we're. I think we're nice guys who you know are willing to look at a movie like Deuce Deuce Bigelow and say, "All right, that's." Or Dudley Durant. Dudley Durant, of course, is a masterpiece. But 
An American masterpiece. It's an American masterpiece. I can't wait I, to see where it lands on your final list. I, I wasn't going. I, I'm literally going to. I'm literally going to list every movie we did, one through two hundred fifty. But uh, and it will be in the top ten. But um, you know, so like great. Deuce Bigel is not the best example, maybe. But we we're charitable. I, I think when it comes to our assessments of these movies, yeah. I think we're being and, unfair. But what's that? I don't think we're being unfair. No, I don't. I think. You know, you don't have to necessarily hold up to this t- this kind of intense two hour cross examination type <laughs> scrutiny, I guess. But most good movies do. That's really what I'm getting at. Most movies, and, and I think if, if you if you look at the seventy odd movies we've done, most of them have positive grades. Um, a movie like Stir of Echoes, which I think fell apart a little bit under scrutiny, we still gave positive reviews to. No, I agree. So, I think I, I think the plotting of this film is weak, weak, weak. Like weak, I'm not weak. I'm not suggesting that it isn't, and I think it's it's definitely it's crossed bare. Um, I just I, I want to be sure, at least in my head, I'm trying to find a balance because, like I said, I think the character work in this is quite nice. There are some really good jokes. There's some stuff that really works, um, and I just want to make sure that I try to keep that balance because if I if I grade this film based solely on its plot mechanics, this film is going to get a 10. But I think that, <laughs> <laughs> that we have to like – You got to look beyond. You got to look beyond it. All right. So where are uh, we? Yeah. Basically, uh, Henry and – sorry. Harry and Glenn figure out the RV was owned by this gay couple that put on children's beauty pageants. They go to a bank to get their money and they're going to get the fuck out of Dodge. They're like, let's just get our money and get out. They're going to get $1,000. Which is probably pretty great when they have no money. I, that's what I was thinking. They get there and Joe, who's running the bank – uh, is like, oh, we'll give you half now, half later. Joe, of course, is a lady. A lady, played yes. by Ali Walker. Um, you think it's going to be some Joe. <laughs> and it's, it turns out to be some Joe, just a female Joe. Joe, yeah. Joe, Joe, Josephine. So it's Josephine. Josephine. And she's lovely. She's, she is lovely. And she's, she's got she's one of really the, good. She's got one of those faces. She has one of those faces. Yeah. Where she's like, oh, I like you. And yes, she has one of those yeah. faces and, and she, <clears throat> she kind of – Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. The thing I, th- I thought of when watching her is, is how difficult those roles are. The girlfriend, excuse me, <clears throat> the girl, the girlfriend, or really the object of the protagonist's affection, desire, whatever. Uh, in a movie, is extre- in a movie like this, is extremely hard to pull off. She does have a, a little arc. She does a little something, but for the most part, we're supposed to fall in love with her because of her line readings mm-hmm. and because of her character choices and her f- kind of. I don't. I'm not trying to objectify her, but her face and manner and way uh, goes a long way here to understanding why Jeremy Northam would be charmed by her. 
and her line readings are really charming. So it's – and really all, all you're trying to accomplish is being a charming character. She had – and this might be an unfair comparison, I'm, you know, but uh, she reminded me a little bit of Lorelai Gilmore. Okay. She has like a Lauren Graham kind of vibe to her. There's like this pseudo-tomboyish but obviously very feminine. Like there's just something very – I don't know, very likable – and yet there's a little bit of an edge to her just enough that she doesn't – you know, it, it, there's – there's, I don't know. That, well, that's sort of where my head came Lauren from. Graham is the queen of this, what yeah. we're talking about. Yeah. Lauren, Lauren Graham has that thing where immediately yeah. you're like, I could spend yeah. some time with her. Yeah. So, and I don't mean that in any kind of way other than platonic and Yeah, just French. hang out with her. She no, seems cool. I mean, yeah. I re- what I really mean is as a character on screen. Yeah, for sure. Um, Lauren Graham is always interesting as a as a character on screen, whether it was mm-hmm. Gilmore Girls or Parenthood and – um, Someone that feels challenging, but but like that will challenge you, but not judgmental, but not judgmental and not yeah. yeah. No, I, I immediately you like this person and you understand you want to spend more time with her and you understand why she's going to be a foil in a lot of ways, romantically and complication and all those things. Well, uh, well you also immediately know what's going to happen in this movie. Well, That's yeah. the other problem, right? The, the, so uh, basically, what happens is in this moment, Harry essentially falls for her almost the second that he meets her. So now he doesn't want to leave town because he's well, one he fall, of the reasons why. He falls why. for something else. What, the, robbing the bank? He falls for this like, yeah. like kind of shittily yeah. secured country bank yeah. that they're going to bring in all, all the money from the harvest mm-hmm. soon You know, because it's Texas and they're Texans. Um, and hey. so the bank is going to be kind of flush. Yeah. Uh, and they're you know the security's kind of poor, and he sees her as kind of a weak, a, a weakness, kind of a vulnerability of the bank. Mm-hmm. So I did think that was, again, like I think that was poorly executed. Where Harry lies, because you know it's going to happen, right? This is this happens in a lot of movies like this. A movie with a bank teller. Mm-hmm. When we do our, when we we did our top five heists last. Last episode, Blue Streak. You, you loved it, which is interesting. We do two. We're, we're two. They're both heist films. Yeah, yeah. I didn't even realize. I didn't, that. Even, didn't put that together. But um, there's a heist. I can just say right now, and set it off. That's the complication in, in a movie. I'm crazy about. I really wanted to be a big reveal for Phil when I put it on my top five heists. But in set it off. There's a great um, relationship between a bank teller and a robber. Uh, the town is about I don't that think too. I've ever seen Set It Off. Oh, it's such a good movie. It's such a good like pre Ocean's Eleven. I should see that. We're going to talk about this Blue Street. Well, I feel like Set It Off was what everyone was hoping Widows was going to be, in a lot of ways. Wait till you listen to the Blankies. Oh, because some people felt that it was. Wow. I, Set think, it, like, I think some people might have been David Sims. <laughs> more than one. Set It Off. Uh, Set It Off is a perfect pre nineties. You know, I mean, uh, pre ninety nine. Michael Bay adjacent bank robber movie. I love it so much. And the soundtrack is incredible. It. I'm gonna watch it. Um, I'm, it. I'm, I'm emailing myself to watch it. But okay. So, but but the point is, the 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 town does it too. The mm-hmm. bank teller robber relationship. Um, you know exactly where you get where it's going to be at the end of this movie. You know mm-hmm. it's going to be a complication. But it's hard for me to tell. Like the obvious thing is, uh, he falls for her over the course of the movie. Yeah. And decides he doesn't want to rob it. I'm with you in that it feels like he falls for her immediately. Um, and the complication in their relationship is she thinks he's gay. I think I, I would fully agree with you that that is the latter. Which is weird. Yes. Because he has another 
another object. So it's like you never feel like the bank is actually a priority for him. In fact, no, at least in my opinion, yeah. You you don't. It, it's it's a hat. It's the hat on a hat, and that's like the movie keeps falling apart for me well, because, because it's like, never. It's never clear. It's never clear what anyone's intentions are. The bank. So Roger Ebert actually kind of pointed this out in his review, where he said, "You know, in a film like this, you have to make a decision, which is, are you the the beauty pageant movie or are you the bank robbery movie?" And it's clear that they want to be the bank robbery movie, and yet but they the, want to put the beauty pageant on the on the poster, right? So they want to be the bank robbery movie and the bank robbery never feels paramount. You never really feel it throughout the film. It pops up at the top and at the end. But in the middle portion of the film, it's, it's all beauty pageant stuff and, and quote unquote gay stuff. It's, it's the William H. Macy relationship. It's that he can't, that, that Harry can't be with Joe because she thinks he's gay. Like all that stuff is the meat in the center of it. And they think they can bookend it with bank robbery shit. And it just doesn't work it's that a way. Really weird movie. I mean, we're real. Talk about not, talk about notwithstanding the scrutiny. If you really break it down. So they silo off these two stories completely. Right, yeah. Jeremy Northam immediately is like, "I'll take the bank, you take the pageant." To win, 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 win. Um, that joke will have no quarter here. But to <laughs> win, 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 Junior, he he immediately says. So then at that point, it's, Jeremy Northam has no contact with the beauty pageant, yep. and win, win, win has no contact. They've split it <clears> in two. What's that? They've split it in two. They split they, it in yeah. two. So it does. It feels like two movies, where and. And on top of that, Jeremy Northam is entirely holding, uh, carrying the burden of pretending to be gay, mm-hmm. whereas Steve Zahn's character is doesn't like, really have to do it ever. He's like he, he basically says this at some point to Ileana Douglas, "That was a phase. Um, I'm not into that anymore. Yeah. And we can be boyfriend girlfriend." Yeah. And in re- the, the cool part about that is, in real life, that actually is a a, a thing that could happen, mm-hmm. right? A thing that could happen. That's an enlightened point of view. That if you if you experiment once, that doesn't make you that doesn't that doesn't name it, your sexuality yeah. for the rest of your life. However, in a movie, you kill the conflict, so it just completely drops it from from. It's just, and you know where he's exhausting, but and it you is, know where this like, character is going to go too. You know he's going to fall in love with pageants. You know there's going to be a girl that he, that he thinks is irresistible. I mean, a child. Um, that he has to, you know, work I, with I, the entire way. You but know I will say gonna... that that's the stuff that worked the best for me. I, I if if I'm if I'm going to be honest, Steve, seeing Steve Zahn come around and enjoy as sitcommy as it might be, that line at least was the most successful for me because everything that Northam is dealing with is so fucking sweaty and has so many gymnastics in order to make it work. He's he's to your point. Carrying the sole burden of the plot of this movie, it's all on his shoulders. Steve Zahn just gets to have the gets to be just the fun, goofy guy who falls in love with the teacher and and be, and falls in love with the kids. And so, like, I'll fix the movie. <laughs> would you like me? Would you like me? I would, to fix, I would love you like to, me to fix it. I would love you, you to mean, fix you, it. You're, you you just fixed it for me in my head, but it's the easiest fix in the world. Um. No bank robbery. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> yes. No, no, like like yeah. full stop, yeah. no bank robbery, full stop. Just uh, embrace the pageant. Have these two guys yeah. pretending to be something they're not, yeah. um, having two different viewpoints on how important it is to run the pageant, yeah. on how to run the pageant, have them locked in that town for a very specific reason, have the opportunity to leave the town before the pageant. 
choose not to leave before the pageant. And then the chase at the end is not a bank robbery chase. It is a two convicts chase. It's so – and then you and can you still, still play sheriff. William H. Macy stuff. You still have stuff. the sheriff because they're still, ex- they're still on the run. So like you still have – the bank robbery just makes it – Messy. Allie Walker becomes a mother of, of one of the sure, child, sure. Or one of the children, sure. or someone else in town who he gives a shit about. Yep. Um, it's like your premise still holds. You still have Steve Zahn on the poster. It's, same, st- it's the same fucking movie, except you don't have the stupidity of this bank robbery bullshit. MC Ganey comes at the end. Yeah. There's yeah. maybe there's prize money. Yeah. Who fucking knows? Maybe he comes because he's heard that yeah. this town has a force field around it that cops can't get into. Obviously, which seems to be plausible. <laughs> Whatever it is. <laughs> Whatever it yeah. is, it's it's the it's and, and and this is what I said over and over in my notes, over and over in my notes. <laughs> they shot a first draft. Yeah. It's so clear to me that they shot a first draft, and if they took two hours like we have, one hour and nine minutes like we have, yep. Yep. and sat down and said, "What is not working about this movie?" They would have dropped the bank robbery because yeah. the bank robbery doesn't get you anything. It just doesn't get you anything. I think they think it gets you stakes. It dials it up maybe 5%. It gives them a reason like, to stay. But I would have gone for a different reason to stay. I would have done something something else, something else that said in this town, yeah. in this town there's something that you need, some, some reason, something that's going to happen at a certain time like God, who knows? You go to you could have just made it that they were going to get more money through the pageant. Like if you had just had it that they that it was fucking $50,000 or something like that. You know, what I mean that, that that if they won the pageant, they would get X amount of dollars. Yeah. And that keeps them there. Like it's the the point we're really trying which to make I, which here, which I would have bought is, is ironically to simplify this movie, which is not a particularly – you know what I mean? Like I think that they just didn't streamline it. We they would didn't have, figure we, out – We would have taken out 15 minutes of this movie. Yeah. It's just – anyway. So that's the big problem with this movie is yeah, that by doing so that – It's so great to crack this movie. <laughs> because the Northam stuff is so – Kind of painful to watch because of all the all the things that he has to do to keep all these balls in the air. It just doesn't it just doesn't work. But all that being said, you know, and I wrote I wrote this in. I believe you can just put Steve Zahn in a room with a bunch of kids and point a camera at him, and it'll be great. And I and I stand by that because I think that a lot of these scenes where it's just him either flailing around or talking to kids has an air of danger to it because this character does seem deeply deranged. All right, so I, I will I will go with you on this one. Uh I felt like the pageant stuff that you're talking about got short stripped short shrifted. For the fucking robbery. For the fucking robbery <laughs> and the fucking romance yeah. and the fucking, yeah. you know, kind of totally. misdirect romance with William H. Macy. Yeah. And the fucking like cop stuff and all this, you know, and Whatever, everything else, but it. I felt like there was no arc in the in the um, pageant. I th- I, oh, I agree. There's, there's school, no payoff. There's a school of rock movie here. I totally agree. With you that. know, there's a school of rock movie. We could have gotten like my, my part of my love for School of Rock. Again, one of my top probably ten movies since 1999. Um, is that we get to know at least what seven eight. I, 12 kids, yeah. 15 kids. You really we get, get to know, know the all these kids. Yeah. We get to love them and root for them. Not in this movie. We barely know one girl. Yeah, no, I know. Who refuses I... a cigarette in one of my favorite scenes. Yeah. But 
the uh, scene outside. She's so just, cool about it, that kid. Yeah, yeah, that, kid's, that kid's great. She's just cool. Yeah. <laughs> he seems like, you want a cigarette? She's like, eh, nah. She kind of reminded me of the kid from the Florida Project. Oh, yeah. Uh, that girl's name, Brooklyn. Brooklyn something. Brooklyn something. Uh, I hear she's, I, and this is going to sound like a joke, but I hear she's directing a movie now. <laughs> she, <laughs> just Hollywood guys. <laughs> I, I, <laughs> that's really, really the best. Brooklyn Prince is her name. Yeah. I'm going to find out if she, she's, she is. She, she's fucking nine. She's nine. Um, she's directing a movie. I saw, I saw <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood guys. It's a short film. Yeah, there you go. Fortunately, it's a short film. Whatever. She's still you, directing a movie. God, all right. So please, I, 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 be, I beg of you. I beg of you to go to this URL, www.wmagazine.com slash story slash Brooklyn. That's two N's, dash Pierce, dash directing, dash short, dash film, dash colors, colors with a U. And look at this picture of Brooklyn Pierce Prince, which I... Behind the fucking camera. She's like behind a Panavision camera. Behind a Panavision camera (laughs) pointing out like fucking Spielberg. Cecil B. DeMille. <laughs> is she nine years old? Nine years old. <laughs> with some poor fucking DP behind her. You're like, what the fuck is going some on? Some 45 year old DP and some seven. Some, the only other two people is 45 year old DP, a, a balding man with a beard. <laughs> and what appears to be about a 26 year old oh PA who is like, like fucking business what is that? happening <laughs> and this adorable moppet <laughs> wearing a shirt with a moon and a star on it <laughs> and behind a $30,000 camera <laughs> and you want to know what I'm sure the movie's brilliant. Yeah, I bet it's great. We'll do a bonus yeah, on it. I can't wait. Oh, my God. Fuck. So, anyway. <laughs> fucking horror. Fucking Hollywood. Uh, so, Chappie goes on a date or asks Harry on a date and he goes, um, I don't know. It, it, so, at this point. They, 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 they go to the, the gay bar in yeah. Texas, which, like, I think I, I think I read a review. Yeah. That I think it was a time review. That was kind of uh, knocking that there is some like gay oasis in Texas. Uh-huh. I think there probably was. I'm sure there was. I think there probably is and was. I mean, Boys Don't Cry had gay bars, right? And yeah. that was in a weirder, less populated place. I don't mean weirder. A, a, a less populated place. I, that was in Wyoming. Um, yes, yes, sir. Yeah. And there were there were places for gay people to meet each other there, obviously. Obviously. So uh, this is not particularly weird to me that there was a, you know, a gay bar in Texas. Of course. I mean, I'm sure, I'm sure there are. I, I mean, it just – I think that part of my issue with this specific part of the film is that it made me sad. Um, I didn't I didn't like – I didn't like, I didn't like the character. Sad. I didn't like Harry for doing this to Chappie. You know what I mean? He, he seems so genuine. Um, he did care about him though. And, yeah, but you know what I mean? It's, it's walking a line. I liked it. I, it, it is incredibly sad. It's a little mean. I think um, I think it humanized both Jeremy of Jonathan's yeah, character yeah. a lot. That he, sure. he, he, we never got to the place again because movies afraid to go to any anywhere. But we never actually got to the place where, like, say William H Macy tries to kiss him. Yeah, um, it's true. Thankfully, we didn't get there. We never got there, so it never got to that place where it gets kind of really upsetting. 
Um, and I, by that, I mean the rejection and then the, uh, you know, having to kind of live with William H. Macy. Though it does, he, he really does get distraught, William H. Macy's it's character. True. It's true. It's true. Um, about this. And I think, he, I, I, I think the way he plays this is so touching, so poignant, I agree. so human. He's, it, I, I loved it. I'm actually thinking about the, those, their scenes together and the way William H. Macy, like, kind of slow pedals the whole thing. He, he really takes, which I I mean, on the page, it's fine. On the page, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Especially I'm not saying for it's 99. Fine. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But he also, he just, he really just imbues it with all sorts of heart and humanity, and which William H. Macy obviously does in, you know, his work. But I don't know. I, you know what I'm saying in terms of that it seemed a little bit mean, just because there is an element of just this guy's being had. And I, I don't like watching people be had. I, I give it the benefit of the doubt. I, I think I see what it was trying to do, which is um, he re- – Jeremy Northam's character really had no choice at that point. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I get that. He was yeah. – you know, he was he – was, he had befriended the sheriff um, and he, 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 was, he was too bought in at that point. So I think he, they, they handled it really well. It really wasn't the gay panic joke I was afraid it would be. I, it's funny because when, when we were talking about doing this film, I remember seeing it in the theater and you know, and just sort of, like I said, leaving kind of with a shrug. And I was like, yeah, maybe it is a gay panic movie. I don't really remember. It's not. It's not. It's, it's not at all. It's surprising how, how yeah. much it is. So at this point, we see we see Harry getting moment. closer with Joe, Wayne getting closer with Mrs. Schaefer, who he continues to call Mrs. Schaefer, Miss Schaefer. Um, we've got a great scene, I thought, when Wayne is at the sewing machine complaining about everything that he has to do for the girls, and it is it's just it's just funny. Um, again, it's an easy joke, but you know Steve Zahn keeps it from. Com- from becoming a complete sort of caricature. The kids make qualifications to be in this pageant or what have you. Uh, and Miss Schaefer jumps Wayne at that point and they have sex in the, in the classroom. The way Ileana Douglas stumbles over the word homosexuality in the film every time, it's like it pains her. To, like she doesn't, doesn't really, it's just, it's fantastic. She just doesn't know how to say it. Oh, homosexuality. Yeah. <laughs> she just, it's, it's great. She's great. Um, and I love that Wayne has names of women tattooed on his body, which is not – like that's why he has to explain himself. Yeah. Which, I mean which was fun. Um, and, that, and that gets called back nicely at the end. Yes, and, which is a nice callback. I mean there's – And I think we're hitting on this thing, which is the pageant stuff is the seed of a good movie. Mm-hmm. It's, it's a quarter of a good movie. Uh, so I, I'm basically trying to say it's it's – if it were expanded to feature length, it would have been half a good movie, mm-hmm. um, and it's a quarter of this movie, at the good parts. And there's other good parts, like Harry's, uh, in, like like a like an unexpectedly tender character. Um, I don't know. Don't mean to move. Don't mean to jump no, around. Let's yeah, but yeah. you know. Um, so then we got Maslow. Uh, he comes back, as we know, the the convict from uh, from earlier. Uh, Harry breaks up with Chappie, and it's really sad. Yes, it's tough. Like that's that's a legit sad. Like William H Macy breaks your heart in that scene. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maslow takes Joe. This is where things get fucking crazy. Right, so you have to tell me. Maslow takes what Joe hostage at the bank while Ron Perlman and the marshal surround the bank. Chappie discovers the robbery, which uh, well, we should also say like Jeremy Northam decides not to. Rob the bank. Yes, sorry. Yes. He was going to rob the bank. He decided he doesn't want to because he, he loves Joe. Yeah, he goes. He's not going to do it. Yeah. Um. 
I don't know exactly why Steve Zahn was cool with it, but because he I don't think well because now I think he's into Miss Schaefer. He's into Miss Schaefer. He's kind of into the pageant. They all it's awful. They all qualify for the pageant off camera. I don't know why. Like it's Little Miss Sunshine without the scene where she does like the the actual things that you're work, that you're waiting for the whole movie to see. And like you know we're not even talking about the John Bonet of it all. Like the little kid pageants in America didn't exist in the public consciousness until we found out about it via a child murder. Yeah, and then it became then it became this thing that was kind of omnipresent in the culture, and people are acting as if it's it, it, it's an okay thing that we that we promote, even though everybody's kind of disgusted by it when they find out. Like, truly, no one knew this existed until John Benet Ramsey, and everyone sees these John Benet Ramsey pictures and everyone yeah. it, pictures of her in pageants. People are like, "This is this is wrong and fucked up and bizarre." Yet, Hollywood, time and time again, via this movie, A Little Miss Sunshine, but also you know things like Dance Moms and Toddlers and Tiaras, um, reality shows, champion this, yeah. and kind of celebrated this this culture that you know I really desperately would like to see go away. So the the fact that we're basically sitting here saying it should be a child pageant movie is true, but we would also have issues with that version of this. Sure, and and I think that there's, I mean. To its credit, Little Miss Sunshine doesn't feel like a pageant movie to me. It also does take the – it does cut the – Takes, prem- the, takes yes. the sink off of it at the at end. At the knees. It does cut yeah. it off the knees a little bit. <clears throat> but you know, we – this is our second pageant movie of the year. Yeah. Uh, Drop Dead Gorgeous is the perfect pageant movie. Um, <laughs> it is because it completely – it shines a bright light on how fucked up the whole thing is. About, yeah, to put 16 and 17-year-olds in the situation. It's even yeah. more fucked up to put 6 and 7-year-olds in that situation. Um, and we never even approach that yeah, here. Drop to Gorgeous is so good. I literally just had a moment when I was just like, oh, right, that movie's a fucking masterpiece. <laughs> yeah. So, but, you know, Miss Congeniality is, an, is another pageant yes, movie yes, that, that yes. sticks with the pageant the whole time. And, you know... I Miss, mean, it does, again... Basically this, a perfect studio movie, so... Yeah, I mean... It, it, most pageant movies take the piss out of pageants. Very few of them legitimize them. This movie has no con, no comment on them, which is a wasted opportunity. Which you know, <laughs> which may as well just be a be, be co-signing the idea. Yeah. Uh, so now we get into sort of this very convoluted situation. But uh, Chappie discovers the robbery, tries to stop it, gets shot by Maslow in the process in the shoulder. Maslow steals a tow truck with the guy's RV attached to it, with Joe as the hostage. The guys get in the RV, and then a chase ensues. Right. A tiresome chase at best. Let's just break this down a little bit because I still don't understand. <laughs> okay. Uh, Maslow is robbing the bank. Yeah. Um, Jeremy Northam is also in there. Yeah. Uh, Joe is also in there. Chappie goes in there. Chappie's walking by. Well, he goes to whatever. He, he does. Yeah. He goes in there. Coincidence, yes. Yeah. So when MC Ganey, when uh, Maslow takes Joe hostage, he says, I see you've met me, Novia. That's my girlfriend in Spanish, right? Okay, whatever. Big deal. Weird. Weird. <laughs> but then, and I watched this back three or four times because I don't, still don't fucking understand what they were doing. When so basically, like he shoots Chappie, Chappie shoots him. He jumps out. Maslow jumps out a window with Joe on his back, and then he helps her up, and she gets up willingly. 
and she goes with him and she doesn't struggle and she runs with she him. She reaches out to him. She reaches out to him. That's weird. What, and then who drives the fucking truck? She's driving it at first. Why is she driving the getaway truck? I so I, I kept know. trying to figure out like, wait, is she in on it? And I think she's not, she's not. but – I just think it's, it's so think it's logistically they were just like, well, we need Maslow to be firing the gun at our guys. So she's driving every other fucking movie that's ever had a getaway with a hostage. It's so, she. Why would she drive? And then he she doesn't like, even say drive. And then he doesn't she, put the gun in her head. Then you've got they're driving. She's got the guys are in the in the RV behind and she's trying to disconnect the RV from the tow truck to try to. Remove them from the equation to save them, quote unquote. But then another truck crosses the street, so they have to stop. And she can't. She's like, but she what also am I she's driving, and then she also says to him, like, take the wheel. Yeah, like she's giving him orders now in order to un unlatch the oh, RV sure. from the back of the tow truck or back of the pickup truck. Yeah. To save their lives when Chappie – I mean not Chappie. When Maslow, I guess, wants them murdered or doesn't, I'm not sure. I mean, they all, certainly want him murdered because they're trying to protect the bank or get Joe back. Yeah. But she's driving – it's it, – It's real bad. I think it's possible that she actually is, a, is in on it. I'm not kidding. You think in the reshoots or something? No, I don't know what I, – I, I, it's so crazy. I, it's, I just think this – all of this underlines and highlights just how ineffectual the robbery elements of this story are and that they backed themselves in a corner and that they wanted a big fucking ending and this was what they came up with. Personally, I don't think they knew the movie that they wanted to make. I think that whether they know it or not, the movie we're talking about is what this movie should be. It, it's a movie of heart and humor with a, with a sprinkling of crime. The obvious ending that happens in Miscongeniality, yeah. that happens in Moulin Rouge, that happens in Naked Gun 33 and a Third. All the classics. All the classics. Three of my favorite movies. Um, <laughs> three perfect films. Uh, you have the you have the 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 the, the gun violence. It happens in. Unproduced screenplay, Gutenberg. You have the the you have the gun violence <laughs> happening while the show is going on in front of the curtain. Yeah, it's obvious, obvious. and it always works. I I, I, I don't know. It, the chase, as I said, gets tiresome. At this point, I literally wrote, "I want more pageant now, less robbery hijinks." Like I just don't fucking care about this stuff that's happening. Maslow then goes to the pageant. That's the, the part that I found the least unex- – the, the, the most unexplainable. He goes there just because they need him to and then he tries to kidnap one of the girls, the girl that, that Steve's on, one of the, one of the students. It's all just – it's all just too much. Uh, they just they just kind of butcher it. Uh, Wayne is arrested and him calling out to the kids and Miss Schaefer as he was actually being hauled into the cop car – kind of worked for me like i found myself yeah. being surprisingly affected yeah, by it i feel that um and then obviously as a bjork fan i'm a fan of these kids all singing it's oh so quiet at the end <laughs> <laughs> so 
you know, unexpected um, choice. Honest, and uh, and I I kind of love the William H Macy and Ron Perlman end up end up together. Uh, apropos of very little, it's uh, cute. It's cute. Yeah. Um, and then Joe has a great line at the end of this movie. You, so both of our guys go back to prison. The girls are singing outside the prison, and Joe shows up and is talking to Harry. And Joe says, "There are very few things I remember about my mother, but I do remember her telling me to look out for boys. They have a way about them. They make you feel like fine crystal one minute and an old penny the next." It's a great line, and That's, that 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 hits home for me. It's a, I mean, but it is a good line. You know what? What's that joke? It's I resemble that remark. <laughs> so, you know. The movie's got some soul and it's got some nice stuff there. It just kind of trips over itself in wanting to be too many things, I think. <clears throat> do you want a zero to 99 it now zero. and then do our yeah, sun Yeah, let's zero to 99 it now sun and then we're going to do our, our, sand, our sun dance picks. Um, before this podcast, I was going to give this a 72. That's pretty good. Um, I'd say post-podcast, I'm going to give it a 68. Oh, you didn't go down that much. Yeah. You like this movie. I mean, what a sellout. <laughs> All right. Wow. I gave it a 62. Okay. I'm going to read my review. Okay. It's a pretty bad movie that I kind of liked. <laughs> you should have put that on the poster. <laughs> it's a very, very easy movie to hate. You know everything that's going to happen 10 minutes in, but it avoids a lot of what you're afraid might happen, and even as a few actors, Macy and Douglas, who find richness in their characters. It's a classic crowd-pleasing studio comedy made as an Indian presented at Sundance like it was something in between. It, oh, this is I, – I like this. It almost has a that dog can walk on two legs quality to it, uh, <laughs> i.e. Indies can make – Indies can make middle-brow, lighthearted schlock too. But I liked it. Um, I, I really can't give this the, – the way we talk about this, I I really can't give this above a 50 anymore. I'm going to give it a oh, 45. Uh, I mean that's – I know. Uh, I just can't. Like it's just – it's not a good movie. It's so fundamentally flawed. Like I think <clears throat> there, there are – there were definitely elements that I liked and were affected by specifically Macy and, and Douglas. Like the Steve Zahn thing to me works because of the way she treats that character yeah. with humanity. Um. But, you know, happy we did it. Happy we, happy we spent some time in Happy Texas, which is the the real name of a real town. So we're going to do something uh, fun here. We're going to do our – Everything su- we do is fun. Uh, we're going to do our Sundance picks. We're going to do our favorite films before 1999 and then we're going to do our favorite films post-1999. Because um, Sundance has been around Sundance has been around for a long time. 78. You know, I uh, – Kenny and I were talking about – we were texting about this last night as we were doing it and and I, there are a lot of films I did not know premiered at Sundance. There were a lot of movies that I that I was like, oh, shit. Um, so um, I'm going to do my my top seven. Pre? Pre-99. Go for it. I have six. Uh, my number one is Before Sunrise. Oh, you're going, you're going one – you always go one down. Yeah. I'm going to go one down. You can go. You can go the other way. I'm a dramatic guy. You should go the other way. And if, you know what? For since '99, I will. I will go with dramatics. But uh, my number one was Before Sunrise. Mm-hmm. Uh, an all timer for me. I, know, I, I fucking favorites. adore that movie. Um, and I did not know that it premiered at Sundance. Uh, my number two is Big Night, which I also adore. A great little movie that isn't talked about enough and has such a deep bench. And it's just and it's one of the great food movies. Uh, Heather's at number three. Welcome to the Dollhouse. Number four. You can count on me. Number five. 
And then, I mean, yeah, I got Reservoir Dogs and Usual Suspects, but they just feel so obvious. That was five and six. Six and seven were Reservoir Sorry, Dogs. Sorry, six and, and seven? And, uh, right. Usual Suspects. Yeah, we got some similar stuff. Yeah. Uh, six, I went Heathers. Mm. Five, I went Reservoir Dogs. Mm-hmm. Four, I went Hoop Dreams. Oh, great movie. Three, Welcome to the Dollhouse. Fucking classic. It's a classic. <laughs> Nothing like it. Two, Blood Simple, which is um, – I assume most people who listen to this podcast have seen that movie. If you haven't, please watch it. You Criterion see, now. You see everything the Coen brothers are going to be in that movie. It's our first movie. Mm-hmm. And number one is Usual Suspects. It's kind of like Six Sensey for me in that like I would be lying to you if I said that the, that movie wasn't foundational to me. It is a foundational film for Kenny Nybart. The twist of yeah. twists. The twist master, the, the, Kenny Nybert. The twist master, Kenny Nybert. It's, it's, <laughs> it's pro- what did I say the best twist was? I think I said this was. I think you said this was. And I think it is the best twist. Um, I think it's a perfect twist. So, I mean, it's, it's, I, I will, I will say that, I mean, our picks obviously show us as people, but I would also say that my picks are a little more Sundancey than yours. Um, sure. I don't mean that in a derogatory uh, sense. No, no, no. I just feel like more times than not, your Sundance movies do tend to be obviously small budget, pretty character oriented movies that aren't particularly plotty. The two movies I have that you don't are Blood Simple and Hoop Dreams. No, I know. I'm, so, what are you talking about? No, I guess that's. I guess that's fair. I guess that's fair. I just. I'm, I, I again. That was. I wasn't knocking your list. I was, hey man. Hey man. I took it personally. You want to do? <laughs> want to do post? You want to do post ninety nine? Yeah, let's do post ninety nine. All right. Uh, so, do you this, have? Do you have any hard. feelings about? And I have a lot of movies that I just kind of wanted to highlight. But do you have any feelings about the way the the festival has changed in the last twenty years? I do. I do. Um, Thought you might. I I feel as though um, well, it's it's become a lot more launchy. Like it, it feels a lot more like you've got a movie. Like there, are, one of them, for instance, on my list feels like that. Get Out was a film that I feel already had studio involvement. Am I crazy that it was already sort of that it was really just shown there? As opposed to a movie that would did not have a distributor, and I'm not sure. I don't I don't know the answer to this. That's why I'm sort of I'm I'm unclear. It's possible that it didn't have distribution, so forgive me. But um, there's there does it does feel a lot more like your South by Southwest and your Sundances and your somewhat smaller festivals now tend to be uh, tend to be about getting buzz for a movie as opposed to getting a distributor for a movie. Um, I don't know if you feel the same, but you know, I, I do feel the same. I, I think that uh, I, have, I have a kind of an unrelated point. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel that you know all film festivals have been commercialized to some extent. I Absolutely, it's true for Toronto, Telluride, even Venice, um, even Cannes. But um, Sundance in the last fifteen years has highlighted a different kind of movie. Um, that's not the, the, the type of movie that I think excites us, like Me and Earl and the Dying Girl, like those kind of movies. I liked Me and Earl and the Dying Girl. Okay. But like those kind but of I movies. But it's not particularly exciting, right? That was it's, another big sale. That yeah. That, that they're a little saccharine. Yeah. Um, crowd-pleasing movies, a little less challenging. Uh, and I, I don't really have any of those. I have one that I think maybe fall into that category. But I always – you know, film festivals – in general, I want to be challenged, like really challenged. No, I get that. I get that. Um, 
So I had a harder time with my since 99 than I did with my pre-99. Um, I, I have 14. I, cool. Oh, I have 13. Okay. I included 99 in this. I believe you did too. I did too, yeah. Okay. Uh, I'll start at the bottom for, for dramatic sake. 14, I had 28 Days Later. Okay. Uh, 13, Little Miss Sunshine. 12, Memento. Then American Movie. Blair Witch Project. Run Lola Run. Virgin Suicides. I mean, when you hear this list of movies that were at, that have been at Sundance since 99, it's pretty staggering. I wouldn't include Run Lola Run. Okay, fine. Because it was 98 at Sundance. Was it at 90? Okay, fair enough. Uh, my apologies. American Psycho, Before Midnight, Get Out, Boyhood, Call Me By Your Name, All the Real Girls, and Brick. Uh, quite a list. Brick is your number one. Brick is my number you one. You love Brick that much. I really love Brick. Wow. I will, I will say, looking at this top five, those are – that's – the order is, is maybe a, a, a little mixed, but, you know. I wouldn't, you know, brick is not number one with a bullet. Is what I'm getting at. What's interesting with for me with brick, <laughs> brick is a movie I liked. Yeah, uh, I've always liked it. Always thought very highly of it. I think it's a great movie. Didn't even consider putting it on the list. Interesting. Okay. Um, it's yours. What are you gonna do? You know. <laughs> okay. So I think all the real girls is a movie that's slept on in a big way. Yeah. I don't. I don't feel like it's people. David talk Gordon about, Green. David Gordon Green. Kind of Zoe his last Deschanel, non. Paul Schneider. His uh, last non kind of big studio. Seth Rogen. That was the last movie. thing that he did before it. Before he became a big thing. Um, it just. It's. It's. It's a really, really beautiful movie that doesn't get enough love. Anyway. Have you seen his first movie, George Washington? Yeah, great movie. It's one of the greatest fucking yeah. movies. Yeah. Okay. Uh, because I love this podcast more than you, Blair Witch. That's your that's your bottom your yes. list. That's your thirteen. Yes. <laughs> okay, I had to put it on there. Uh, Three identical strangers from this year. Oh, never saw it. Have oh, it's so good. So good. So good. Here's great. I can need to watch uh, it. Five hundred days of summer. Yeah, I, you know, maybe I, it's kind of your brick. It, it, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I love that movie, and I'm also friends with the screenwriter and trying to get him on the podcast. Um, <laughs> it comes on. Fruitvale Station, which I'm a little surprised didn't make yours. Yeah. Frozen River. I love that movie. Okay. Um, do you know it? No. Nope. Melissa Leo? Oh, that movie. Yes. Yes, 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 yes. Um, the Wackness. Kind of important to me. I like The Wackness. Wackness is the only movie I've ever seen. Yeah. With the exception of movies that were actually made uh, contemporaneously. Um, that actually understands what 1990s New York looked like for people of wealth and privilege. Um it's a wild, wonderful – It's a really good movie. Realistic Kingsley's in that movie. Am I crazy? He is, yes. Yeah. And Josh Peck plays the main kid. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very cool movie. Short Term 12. Oh, I didn't know that was a Sundance movie. That would definitely be on my list. I fucking love Short Term Incredible 12. movie. I had a feeling as I was doing this list, I was like, I feel like some things are going to fall through the cracks it's and Kenny's going to get something that I didn't know were there. It's but hard. yes, Short Term 12 is phenomenal. Um, American movie. It's my number six. So, it's so fucking good. I so can't wait to do that movie. One of the greatest. Top five. Another movie I'm a little surprised didn't make yours. Primer? Yeah, I don't love Primer. Oh, all right. Primer to me. It makes my head hurt. The great. But you see, this is the thing. Like, you like my kind of shit. Yeah, you love that shit. It's my kind of shit. Also, I'm very into the idea of like two guys, $25,000, super heady premise. Let's go see if we could do it. And kind of, I think, pulling it off kind of flawlessly. Mm -hmm. Number four, get out. 
Number three. <laughs> Another movie I was surprised didn't make yours. Whiplash. Yeah, I don't love Whiplash. Oh, I love Whiplash so much. I, I think it's fine. I, I, I'm, I'm one of those guys that just – and, and listen, I know a lot of people really loved it. Uh, yeah. J.K. Simmons is great in it. I, there's just – yeah, there's just stuff that I just don't love. Nothing like Whiplash. Okay. Uh, number two, another movie I'm surprised was low on your list. Memento. Memento is not something you're super into. No, I, you know what it is. And again, I'm learning so much about you. You're, you're learning. You are learning a lot about me. But you're also like, I don't like things that <laughs> that make my head hurt. That like I can't logic out. Like not logic out. Like I get confused. I don't like being confused. You're a type of person. You're a puzzle person. Like you yes. like you love that shit. I love the. Puzzle I'm not a puzzle movie. guy. So for me, I'm just like, wait, what? Like where am I in this fucking timeline? And and how? It, I find that movie. I respect that the hell out of that movie. I think that everyone in it is great. I obviously love Chris Nolan. I don't. I mean, it's on my list. It's just not yeah. a movie that I that I really ever rewatch. When we do following. Yeah. By Christopher Nolan. By Christopher Nolan. We'll talk more Memento. And we'll talk Nolan in general. Yes. Yeah. Uh, number one is the fucking greatest American movie maybe ever fucking made. Oh, OK. I think I know where this is going. <laughs> uh, it's the best American movie I think of the last 20 years. Um, we're lucky that it exists. <laughs> Boyhood. Yeah, I was going to say. Fucking and how did it fucking lose to Birdman? Boyhood. I know. Boyhood, 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 <laughs> boyhood. A towering, towering, towering. cinematic achievement yeah. that also comes together in an incredible film experience. I love that movie with all my heart. I, I watched the criterion of that, I don't know, probably maybe about a year ago mm-hmm. and was just floored by it again. Like you, when you watch it, it's to your point, like, and a lot of people didn't. It's so weird because how he made the film was crazy, right? Mm-hmm. So that's always a part of the conversation, unfortunately, um, because it kind of cuts the knees, like cuts this movie off at the knees a little bit because you can't really embrace it for the the quote unquote magic trick that it is. Movie making is just that, right? I mean, mm-hmm. editing all that shit. It's a, it's a magic trick, but the fact that he shot it over as many years as he did to give us this beautiful thing. And unfortunately, people thought it was a fucking trick. Like they they didn't allow the trick. movie to be this unbelievable testament to growing up. It, to me, I just I don't know. You know, just it comes up a lot. I'm a parent. <laughs> um, it's about parenthood more than boyhood. Yeah, it's about how fast it all goes. Oh, the Patricia Arquette scene at the end. It's the worst fucking thing in the world. It's I feel it every day. Or she's I, just like I just thought that I just thought I'd be more interesting at this point in my life every and, and you're, you send your kids out and they're done and it's over because i do i feel you know i feel that all the time i feel like that's why i keep having kids um i feel like it's i'm gonna be you know when my when my last kid now because i again i'm about to have another kid so <laughs> when my last kid is 18 and out of the house i'm only going to be in my early 50s and people are going to be living until you know 170 by then. I would think. 200. I mean, you'll be part cyborg. I will choose not whatever. to die. Yeah, That's yeah. right. I will choose robot. not to die. Yeah. And uh, was it you that said? And I, <laughs> and I know. I, I do tell Rollins that I don't. <laughs> Rollins asked me, "Are you going to die?" I said, "I probably will." I'll will. be in your phone. Right, it's I'll be in the phone. I was, you know, I, I'll be a robot. I'll, you'll be able. You'll, you, I'm not you, going anywhere. You can download me, and then I will. I'll, I'll, I'll be forever. an app. Don't worry. The, the dad app. <laughs> 
but yes, and that that's all coping mechanism because because I know Fuck. the you know the cruel final death is coming upon me, <laughs> and my kids are just going to be out there in the world, and it's going to have happened so fucking fast, and it really does. The, the the thing about you know boyhood is what boyhood is is a little under three hours. That's what it feels like. It feels like I've known my seven year olds, my seven year old twins, for three hours. This is a pretty well, good this segue. Has been our episode on Happy Texas. This is a pretty good segue into next episode because <laughs> uh, it's a big one. Maybe the biggest movie of '99. I mean, if we're gonna, the, I mean, it's a debate. It's the biggest. It's it's the it is the one that left the biggest footprint. I think for no sure. question. Uh, it's the Matrix. It's the Matrix. It's the Matrix. It's one of the it's one of the five great ten poles of 1999. Yeah, I mean, it's it's. <laughs> Yeah, uh, there's it's it's you, one of those. What do you those, think my other four great temples of 1999 are? Oh boy, I mean, I'm, I'm assuming cruel intentions. No, 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 no. no. This has nothing no. to do with personal. Oh, okay. Uh, I mean, Star Wars. I mean, episode. No, one? I don't think so. Re- oh, interesting. No, okay. I don't. I don't think that. I don't think that had any. Fight Club. Yes, of course. Uh, Six Sense. Of course. I don't know, man. Being John Malkovich and Magnolia. Okay, okay, well, okay, but yeah. <laughs> but I don't know that. I don't know that those two had like a. F- Footprint. I think being John Malkovich for sure. Definitely did. I'll give you being John yes, Definitely Magnolia, did. I don't know about that. Um, whatever. Whatever. Point, point being, whatever. we're doing The Matrix. It's going to be a, a two-parter. It's a special episode. Um, we're having Emily Todd Vanderwerf coming on mm-hmm. um, to talk about The Matrix and to talk about sort of unpack the whole thing. You know, I've watched it. I, uh, I actually went to see it. Uh, with her on the 31st when it was in theaters, mm-hmm. um, seeing it on the big screens first time since 1999 mm-hmm. it was a powerful experience. Uh, it just it holds up like a motherfucker. It's ridiculous how good a movie it is. It has no mm-hmm. right to be as good as it is. Uh, and it's I'm just really excited to unpack it uh, with Emily and with you and and to sort of come at it from all the different angles that exist. I hope we can do it justice. No, real. <laughs> I just seems resigned. No, I mean it's it's. So it's it's, in my opinion, probably the best film we've done so far. Um, it's probably. I mean, these are yeah. I mean, I just think it's it all is subjectivity. It's, but well, I know what you're saying. Well, that's why I said in my opinion. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so Fair enough. Fair enough. In my opinion, I think it's the best film we've done so far. Mm-hmm. I also think it's the. Uh, it's the one with the biggest footprint. It's it's lasted. It, it's it's um, had the biggest lasting impression. Yeah, and it's also been co opted by so many different, <laughs> diverse groups of people. Yeah, and I'm interested in all those points of view. But um, God, it is just just as a as a movie, it's spectacular. It. I mean, yeah. I watched it again uh, at home before when we recorded the episode, and it just. Uh, I, I can't get over how every part of it works. It is just a top to bottom masterpiece. It never stops. It just it, it it really and on a script level, on a production level. I mean, you see that film ripped off so many ways over the past you know twenty years. It's it's just it's a, it's a fascinating thing. Um, it's a beautiful movie. It's a great movie. I'm stoked. Can't wait to talk about it again. So uh, thank you for listening. I'm at PM Iskov at uh, Twitter and on Instagram. We are at Podcast Like 1999. Kenny is at Nybart. Uh, please rate, review, subscribe. That's it. We're doing the Matrix. Get fucking excited. Yeah, we're doing the Matrix, guys. <laughs> See you next week. Podcast like it. Just podcast like it. Podcast like it's 19.
Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. quince.com slash style.